was this for an attention-grabbing headline? Who is to blame? Young couple loses homeowners grant and mix-up. It certainly attracted our attention. In this episode, we follow the story to find out just how easy it could be to lose out on incentives you were banking on. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. We're talking about one risk around first home buyer grants that is not talked about very often. The story we're following is sad, not only because these first home buyers lost out on a $15,000 grant that they thought they were going to get, but because they were relying on what they thought was to be expert advice along the way. So what went wrong and how can we learn from their mistakes? But before we get into that, as always, Megan is sitting in front of her rather unusual building. It's not her home this week because there hasn't been <laughs> There's any no progress. progress. <laughs> but this For those one... who are following along, my house is being renovated, but at the moment all it has is a skip bin out the front, so nothing to report so far. I think that would have been interesting, you doing an episode sitting in front of a skip bin. However, <laughs> instead what you're doing is sitting in front of a building that looks like a giant, I'm not quite sure, fly. This- it is, actually looks like a giant fly. It is a giant fly. As in uh, a zipper is, fly. <laughs> this, is, this is the US company Talon Zippers. So they have had a building created. It's obviously two um, structures that come out of a single structure at the bottom and a lovely sort of superimposed zipper that um, looks like you could just zip the buildings up together. So some really, really interesting architectural elements there. And I love the play on using, you know, an aspect of their their building or their company um, to create something really interesting. Another one of those buildings, Veronica, that would not resell easily. No, unless it was to another zipper Too company. unique. It's, yeah, you know, oh, I'm just not a fan of these type of buildings, but I know you love digging them out of, out of the just internet. Fascinating. <laughs> All right. Well, talking about zippers, you know how we like to pull apart. Ah, ha, ha. A oh, bad news story. <laughs> let's hit, let's crack into this one. Yeah, look, we have another one today and we'll include the link in the show notes so you can actually read the full article yourself. But at the beginning of the story, it was claimed that 
They engaged experts to help them through the difficult process of buying their first home. Now, stick around because this is only one part of this story that has us really intrigued. So what happened? Okay, well, to quote the article, the young couple fell in love with a four-bedroom, two-bathroom property on Queensland's Sunshine Coast and they bought it for $540,000 and it was advertised as brand new, which meant that they could get the first homeowner's grant, right? So, so Under the rules of the, the grants, that has to be brand new. And First from, owner. That's mm. it. And from what we can work out, the builder told them that the house was brand new and I think they probably saw it even being built perhaps which given that he was building it and they were going to be the first people to occupy it seems completely and utterly reasonable. Seems straightforward so far. So they decided to, and I quote, pay a little bit more than we wanted to, but we're banking on the first homeowner's grant in reducing the cost by $15,000 for us. Challenge number one there. Um (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look, I'm not sure if they meant they went beyond their budget in paying a little bit more or they paid more for the property than they thought it was worth. But it's clear that they felt that they could pay more because of the expectation of getting the $15,000 grant, which in itself is a problem really. Well, it is, isn't it? Because you're thinking, well, they're going sort of beyond their budget because of free money from the government. Mm. And and you can understand then why grants push prices up. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. So many episodes on this. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to negotiate too hard. Because, um, you know, it's all right, I got extra 15000 It's free. It's not really mine. It was given yeah. to me. I'll get a little bit. Oh, it doesn't matter if I pay anymore. Well, it, it does. And also it kind of worries me that they were stretched so far on a purchase. Mm. Um, it doesn't sound like there was any kind of buffer left there. No. So they've gone and done that. They've stretched themselves. They've bought this house. They understood it to be brand new, which meant that they were going to get their um, grant. But, mm. big, fat, but. The Office of State Revenue rejected their application and two subsequent appeals, eventually placing the blame for this mix-up squarely on the builder. Now, that's in the article. So what went wrong? What went wrong? (laughs) Well, this is a technicality uh, and and this is where, you know, consulting the right people at the right time is really important. The builder bought the block of land from the developer on what's known as builder's terms, meaning the payment for the block is not due until the home is built and a buyer signs a contract. So they're sort of, you know, they're not paying for the land until they've actually got a buyer for the land and the house. It's very common. This is not something dodgy or anything like that. This is a common practice for for builders to do um, in conjunction with developers. So he was actually the first owner of the, the house and technically by law, we were the second was the quote from the purchases. Can you so, believe that? And it's reasonable to assume that that would never be the case. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I just just defies. So this house, so let's talk it through. So there was a piece of land. Had the builder bought the piece of land, built a house on it and then sold it? No problem. The Office of State Revenue clearly defines that as the purchaser of, of the property after the builder has built it being the first owner of the property. But this appears, and, and this is something I've never come across before, Veronica, I don't know if you've come across it before, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of t- interpretation of what constitutes a first home buyer, it is the builder who is deemed to be the f- 
first buyer of the property because he didn't buy the land and build the house on it. He, the developer essentially sold the house to him. Yeah. Yeah. Through him. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's It's totally weird. It's obviously a technicality. But, and I can so. And no one had lived in the property. No, and I can so understand how a lot of people involved in this would have absolutely inadvertently got themselves in into this pickle because they just didn't know and you would assume it's it's such a classic you don't know what you don't know (laughs) right um and it but see this is the thing this is where i think this is is probably more interesting this particular episode well this is particularly interesting mainly because it's one of those well there's an anomaly there's something really unusual that you need to know if you're buying in this circumstance it's not only what you need to know veronica it's what we always say you need to continually ask questions about what you don't know so i guess yeah one of the good things about this episode is make sure you dig a little bit deeper and understand a little bit more rather than just assuming that um what someone tells you might be in the eyes of the law the correct thing and he's that's the law is the interesting bit here in from my point of view because Mm. we mentioned earlier that the article refers to this poor couple getting help from experts and then my obviously I go well which experts, which experts? you know um and <laughs> who were they the ad- sorry <laughs> who were they and who who's were they? they on <laughs> and weirdly enough it's it sort of it does boil down to one one expert <laughs> but you know a little poetic license in these articles um so to quote the article the young couple are upset that their solicitor failed to pick up the discrepancy and further attempts to resolve this complicated situation were unsuccessful uh, the buyer is quoted as saying, just pretty much shut us down and said things like, if you want me to look at things, it's going to cost you thousands. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard a solicitor say that. <laughs> well, it's interesting though, because let's go back. You know, you and I have discussed this about the con- active conveyancing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we recommend you get your experts lined up before you, it's not, it's step one in the pay system. Step one is get your experts lined up, get your support crew, right? And so choosing the right solicitor at the right time means you've got access to good advice when you need it. Now, there's two steps to the conveyancing process. There's the actual conveyancing bit after you've exchanged contracts or whatever, you've had your offer accepted and you go into that settlement period, right? And then there's a bit before that not all lawyers or conveyances actually do, and that is get advice before you enter into a binding contract Mm. and so this is where it's so critical get um, we bang on about this all the time people get your steps in order this is a classic of and i don't know exactly whether they did or didn't do this but my guess is that they've got this solicitor involved after they've already had the contract done the contract possibly and 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 the other hint i think is there veronica is uh referring to it's going to cost you money yes Yes, it is going to cost you money to get good advice from experts who know what they're talking about. And if you are ever buying something off plan or something that has some intricacies or some challenges, you want to be paying good money to somebody to stop you from entering into or being bound by a contract if there are things that need to be found. So you actually want to spend the money to make sure you don't misspend the main money which is the, the the whole purchase of the property so potentially you know they could have i'm not sure that advice would have cost them fifteen thousand dollars but Certainly not getting not. the advice cost them fifteen thousand dollars yeah 
Yeah, yeah, good point. But it I would have gone anywhere near fifteen thousand dollars. No, in fact, you but know, in Queensland, conveyancing is probably around fifteen hundred dollars for the <laughs> professional fees, and then the outlays on top. So, but this is this does get to an important point though: getting advice before you commit. And a lot of people don't do that, and yeah. that realise that they don't do that because they don't know what what potholes there are along their, their pathway. Right. So, so my guess is that they've got this conveyancer organised after they've committed, which means they haven't got advice beforehand and what clauses to include in the contracts. And we've done episodes on this before, particularly that couple that the sunset clause, that that episode, uh, yes, you can remember yeah, back to that yeah. one. You know, they changed a clause in the contract. My guess is they did not get <laughs> legal advice on that. Or didn't really understand the implications of it because yeah. it was it was they thought it was in their favor and it actually ended up being in the builder's favor. Anyway, that's that's yeah. long. We are going to do an episode next week, Veronica on different conditions in um, private treaty negotiation. So that, that'll be an awesome one. Absolutely. Very, very important stuff. Anyway, so, back on track. Yeah, back on track. So the other expert that I think is sort of alluded to is the sales agent. Well, let's face it, sales agents are not experts the buyer should be relying upon. No, they are <laughs> representing the seller. They are not <laughs> representing the buyer's interest. They're there to sell the property. So the real estate agent, which in this case was Harcourt's Caloundra, were also caught up after advertising a property as a new home when in the eyes of state revenue, it had already had a previous owner. Now, that's a tough one because... Mm. An agency often relies on um, what is revealed by the seller the of vendor. the property, mm. you know, and, and certainly um, I guess if they looked at property records like um, RP Core Logic or, or other sources of, of ownership records or possibly would have seen who the owner was and if it was still the developer, it might raise some flags, but it might not either. I don't think it would. I actually... You know, potentially it's a it is a case of false advertising, and and that might be you know where it ends up. And I could certainly see how, however, this could have been a really easy mistake yeah. to make. Yeah. Because what's the definition of brand new? And there might be a definition of brand new that works in one application, but from the Office of Fair Trading or the Office of State Revenues uh, definition of brand new could be completely different. So, so I'll give you an example of that. The Foreign Investment Review Board, if you're a foreign purchaser of property, the definition of new is actually different to the Office of State Revenue. So a, the de developer of the property can actually rent that property out for 12 months and still sell it and that in, that um, foreign buyer can still have that considered as a new property under Foreign Investment Review Board um, <laughs> criteria. So that, that that's two really, really different scenarios of what is yeah. considered brand new. And potentially the tax office too, you know, yeah, oh, that'd be another a whole scenario for the yep. depreciation. And so, yeah, and this is the thing that, you know, agents um, aren't experts in this area um, of taxation and stamp duty and homeowners grants. They're not. So, I mean, oh, it, yes, and they and they are relying on what the owner tells them. And in most agency agreements, has some level of uh, disclaimer in there to mm, say that basically mm. I'm relying. I'm you have to tell me have everything tell me that everything. I need to know. Yeah. So and then the owner's disclosure in Queensland. Remember, Veronica. Yes. So yes, yes, it yes. is caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware. So there's less disclosure, but advertising something as something that it's not. That's potentially where the misleading advertising might come into it. Um, and they but say then that who, ignorance is no defence. Yeah, who's responsible for determining if it's brand new and under what regime? 
Yes. So you can see that the buyers will be understandably wanting the agents to help them out. And then the agents to quote the buyers, they haven't really done too much to help us from this point. I think they should step in and maybe get to the bottom of it. Well, let, you know, you talked about buyer beware there and yeah. emptor. I mean, <laughs> and this is the thing. It's like, actually, is it really the agent's responsibility? I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, it, it did they like mislead on purpose? Did they not? Like this is all this is all probably something I'll go through a legal process, I would imagine. Mm. But what what the buyers felt, and, and to quote them again, no one really cares because it's not their problem but ours. We're the ones who have to live with getting ripped off fifteen thousand dollars. Technically, it's no one's fault, but ours at the end of the day, when really they failed us, was what the purchaser said. And that that that's almost like admitting, yeah, we should have known better, but really it's your fault that we didn't know, but we kind of know that we should have found out. Yeah. From, like, I just, it's a really interesting quote, isn't it? I think it really cuts to the core of why we have created Your First Home Buyer Guide is because at the end of the day, regardless of whose fault it is, who's living with the, the, the outcome, outcome of, of this? Mm, who's the mm. one suffering and even if they are able to go and get some sort of recourse, who's got that inconvenience in their life and the stress and all the rest of it? And, and, and the money to put behind you to actually get the legal representation and go through the process. Yeah. So it, it is an awful story and our hearts do go out to this couple. Um, but, you know, obviously for us, I, we just think, well, how could they have avoided it? What do you learn out of this? And, and mm. this is the great thing about being able to sort of dig in a little bit deeper and pull out some lessons for you. So, you know, how, how could they avoid this, Veronica? I guess that you'd want to have a look at, did they make their offer before engaging a solicitor? And you talked about this earlier, that many people don't actually do this or have that chat with a solicitor before they enter into some sort of binding agreement. Now, we don't know, but if they did, and some people do, that could explain why the solicitor couldn't answer their questions because they'd already committed themselves. And that would mean they thought they were getting expert advice, but they were actually doing everything without advice. And that's quite common. So, you know, I'd say that there's a... Common but not right, not good. But not, not, not advocating that at all. Not good common, <laughs> bad common, um, <laughs> risky common is probably trying to, it. Trying to t- cut corners or save money. Is... Just not even think about it because you think, well, it's like, how, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, possibly they could have made a better choice of solicitor. Now, we don't actually know whether their solicitor was a property specialist, but there would be less chance of this happening with a property specialist yeah. because they would know this stuff. And obviously, though, as long as that specialist mm. was engaged early enough, and this yes. is the other thing, even if you've engaged them after the fact, that they would still highlight it, you know, oh, there's a risk here. Yeah. Um, but also somebody who will answer questions and read the fine print. And this is, this is go back to, to our step-by-step process. It's so important to get everything in the right order, mm. get the right advisors on board at the right times and have them on hand so you can ask these questions. Um, because you know, if they chosen someone better, just based on cost, and some people do, they shop yes. around to find the cheapest one. Who's mm. cheap? Who'll do it for for the lowest price? Not a good selection criteria for a solicitor. No, because it isn't a box ticking exercise. Although no. for many, it is, and that's the problem. You've got to find somebody who is not a box ticker. <laughs> <It just laughs> and there is there is boxes to be ticked. Let's let's not ignore that fact. There are conveyance 
protocols in each state that have things have to be ticked off. They must do certain things. But we're talking about having conversations that are outside of that that um, box ticking process for for the conveyance process. Yeah. And these are conversations that will only reveal information once you have them because it's it's a good solicitor will ask the types of questions that will make a buyer go, oh, I don't really know, or no, that's not what I was told. And they'll, they'll be able to actually delve in a little bit further and say, look, the you know the property ownership process here doesn't look as straightforward as I would like it to be. I, ne- I think we need to ask some more questions around this because if the developer was still the owner of the property and the builder hadn't actually ha- been on the title and the property was being sold to the purchasers, that would, for a good solicitor, that could raise some further questions mm. that may have actually led to them you know, actually saying, well, are, are you actually the first owner of the property or is there something, something different here that we need to investigate? The third thing, lesson that we could learn from this or or maybe they could have avoided this is by avoiding using grants as a property selection tool, <laughs> you know, because they sort of admitted that they may have potentially overpaid because they, you know, didn't think of the grant money as their money. As their you know, money. hadn't been yeah. acquired through their blood, sweat, and tears. You know, they hadn't to save it. You know, and there is a behavioural bias called mental accounting, and that is where we have sort of buckets in our in our mind for different money. You know, like for instance, if you got money from a redundancy, or you won it on a horse, or you earned it, or your grandmother gave it to you, yeah. you're going to attribute different values to or level of importance to how you spend those different buckets of money. Yeah, and you it's know, almost like the bit that you didn't have to work hard for or, yeah, or slave so you don't value for it is a little less. Um, it's it's a little more frivolous. Yeah, so that's and that, that is a, a behavioural bias that you know it's very well documented that one, and we that's all fall one. into it. So yeah. the other thing I guess is that no know, knowing that the agent's job is to sell the property. It's not to give the buyers all the information that they need in the process. It's it's just not their job to make sure you're qualifying for grants. Now, they could make um, statements around that, you know, brand new. They were told it was brand new. It, they probably watched it being built. It, it certainly looked brand new. But you wouldn't know? even question it, would you? You wouldn't, no. But, but then this whole technicality of the ownership mm. transfer process um, that is certainly not the agent's job to to inform a buyer a, around. Um, although I'd imagine that particular agency is probably um, reviewing their processes, their, their processes <laughs> around that, so that yeah. you know, it doesn't happen again. Because that's once you learn something, you've got an opportunity to improve it. Don't so their, their advertising may or may not have been misleading. Um, the house was literally brand new in all respects, apart from how the Office of State Revenue viewed it. Mm. And then the fifth way to avoid this is learn what to do in the right order and and respect that there are dangers and pitfalls at every turn and hidden stuff that even experts like Megan and I haven't come across this. But yeah. we know when we work with clients or when we buy our own properties that we have the experts lined up in each of their lanes and we would have had the appropriate legal advice engage at the appropriate time, which would have informed us mm. if we were doing it. But that's because we've got all this experience and we've also come up with a 10-step plan. You we know, know when, the, when the, there's a red flag there. And, and mm. I did ask um, a solicitor that we use regularly, uh, you know, if they'd come across this before they hadn't. Mm. And I just said, look, at what point might this have 
might might a flag have been raised and they said when they looked at um the title the ownership title it might have raised a red flag if mm. that if that was different to you know but but other than that they couldn't really categorically say a, apart from if it was still in the developer's name and not in the builder's name yeah the title which you would expect that would be the case because the, the builder hadn't settled on the property themselves so mm. transfer hadn't gone to the builder which is that's the stickiness that's that that's where it all came undone so interesting um case study this one yeah, i've never it? come across it before really so feel for them having one, that expectation oh. in in mind around it but again why are we doing this? It's actually to to um, raise alertness in people's minds about making sure the process is done in the right order. The right experts are consulted at the right time so that questions can be asked. And also, you know, really importantly, just don't try and do things on the cheap. The cheapest person isn't necessarily going to be the one that right, asks the right questions. And if it costs you a couple of extra thousand dollars, it's better than losing $15,000. Ouch. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.